Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We welcome you to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun podcast, a special coronavirus episode. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore from AccuWeather, and over the next several weeks, months, however long we need to, we'll be bringing you special updates and episodes discussing the spread of the coronavirus, its ultimate impact that it will have on the United States, its economy, its citizens, their health, and how some of what we are facing could all depend on the weather. Now, as you go through the next several weeks, months, however long it takes, keep up to date with our full coverage of this pandemic, including our global snapshot of cases available on our website, accuweather.com coronavirus. I am pleased to be joined now on the phone with AccuWeather's founder and CEO, Dr. Joel Myers. Joel, it's great to have you with us. Before we get to the main topic of what impact the weather has or may have coming up on the coronavirus as we go over the next several weeks and months, I'd first like to talk to you a little bit about the steps that our company, AccuWeather, has taken during this pandemic, not only to keep your amazing employees safe, but to also to continue to try to give life-saving information, keep it business as usual for the many amazing clients that AccuWeather provides services to. Joel, talk a little bit about how AccuWeather is trying to make sure everyone is safe and prepared. Well, we've done everything to ensure that we provide the same level of service to all of our clients <clears throat> by having everything backed up and by anticipating this starting, the possible need for this six, seven weeks ago, keeping all of our employees aware of uh, the threat and uh, started getting the equipment into people's homes and the communication system set up so that people can work remotely and interact with each other in the same cooperative way we've always done and still continue to provide the high level of product superior accuracy and forecasts and warnings that are targeted to what our clients need or customers uh, that depend on us, as well as the public that gets our forecast through uh, our apps, our desktop, and through our various media, the AccuWeather Network, the AccuWeather Channel, and uh, our radio stations, newspapers, television, and so on. And certainly, uh, we're living proof of that right now. I'm in my home studio in the across the way. You're in your home and we're all connected here electronically here and it's uh, working amazingly. You know, one thing with this pandemic, with the coronavirus, even though that's going on in our lives, the weather doesn't stop and we'll still have to be making sure people understand what's going on weather-wise, including severe weather, as we ramp up over the next couple of weeks. You mean as the severe weather threat increases as we go and get into the spring, obviously the threat of tornadoes Uh, increasing now almost daily based on past history. And so it's our job to keep people safe, to save lives and keep people out of harm's way. And and that's what we're all about. Absolutely, Joel. So, Joel, let's uh, get to the the focus here, which is weather and its effects on the coronavirus. In a recent article you wrote for AccuWeather.com, you mentioned that we should begin to see if weather will have a role in slowing down the virus in the next 36 days, what are some of the data? What types of data are you looking for over the coming months? Well, of course, we don't know for sure whether the uh, 
coronavirus will behave like other viruses have. But we have studied carefully the weather and seasonal impacts on other viruses. So we hope and expect that the coronavirus will behave like those. If that's the case, the enemy of the virus are several things. Warmer temperatures, higher humidity, and ultraviolet radiation from the sun. Now, let's talk about temperatures. Uh, The evidence is, and even uh, with the coronavirus now, the evidence is that higher temperatures are the enemy of the virus and reduce the spread. If you look at where the cases are uh, compared to the temperatures, the spread of the, obviously the cases are are important, many of them. So you can't, people come from a place and go to a place that's warm, they bring the virus with them. But the spread of the virus seems anecdotally on what we've looked at so far to decrease when it gets uh, warmer in places where it's hotter and where the humidity is higher. And there's some physical reasons for that. Virus uh, tends to uh, uh, like cold weather, most colds and viruses, uh, the flu and so on, spread and are more of a problem in the cold weather just because of the way viruses work. But also people are more susceptible in cold weather to getting sick. Their immune system is lower. Part of that is because they get less sunshine and variety and the changes in temperature, but also the lower humidity. You know, if it's cold outside and that air comes in and is heated up by your heating system, it's dried out a lot because uh, the higher the temperature is, the more water vapor it can hold. So if you have air outside that's 20 degrees, even if it's saturated, you bring it into the house, the relative humidity of heating that same air up would be maybe 20%. And if it's dry air, it could go down to 10%. So when, you're, when it's dry, uh, you're more susceptible to viruses getting into your system because your nasal passages are dried out. You want to keep them moist. Another reason why you should be drinking lots of fluids and keeping yourself hydrated. So there are a lot of different reasons uh, why the heat and humidity impact the spread of the virus. Also, the uh, virus is something like called hygroscopic, like salt particles, it can actually absorb water vapor out of the air, even though the air is not saturated. Water vapor is a gas, but certain particles like salt pull the moisture out of the air uh, at humidities as low as uh, 70% and turn it into liquid water. That makes the droplets, in this case, the virus somewhat heavier, so it may fall faster. So if you sneeze or cough, and uh, typically, they say, stay six feet away. But if there's a lot of humidity in the air and the cough the corona out, it may absorb uh, the moisture and be heavier and fall three feet from the person, not six feet. So there are a lot of factors that may be in play here. And I didn't even talk about the ultraviolet radiation. There. Well, right, because I think uh, those are two things that sometimes people try to put together, but... Uh, it's it's a different aspect. You're talking that uh, one of the issues that we've been talking about is the amount of solar radiation and the amount of intensity and in increase now as we've crossed over the equinox and we're heading to the solstice now where the sun will be more direct towards the northern hemisphere. Talk a little bit about that aspect of sure. the increased solar radiation. The energy from the sun is a spectrum of wavelengths. We can see what we call visible, which is a tiny portion of the overall spectrum of radiation from the sun. You know, that's ranges from 
red, which is long wave radiation, which looks at red in the sky, to blue, and the sky is perfectly blue, which is short wave radiation. Radiation that we can't see, but is further a long wave beyond red, is called the infrared. Radiation that is of smaller wavelengths beyond blue is called ultraviolet. Obviously, blue, violet, and ultraviolet. Mm -hmm. That's how why it gets its name. Now, the ultraviolet radiation is known to kill the virus. Some people put ultraviolet lamps in their home to try and kill viruses and so on. So the amount of ultraviolet radiation reaching the surface on a summer day, say a June day, compared mm -hmm. to a July day, varies with the latitude. Because, as you know, because of the tilt of the axis, the sun appears to move north and south with the seasons. And also the days are longer, daylight is longer in the summertime and shorter in the winter. So let's take some, the latitude of New York or Chicago, approximately. Right. People don't realize it, but the amount of, of ultraviolet radiation reaching the surface on a June day compared to a December day can be 10 times as great because the daylight period is 15 hours compared to nine in, in December. But the sun's much more direct because of the tilt of the axis and the sun being overhead at 23 and a half degrees south latitude on December 21st, way below the zenith, right overhead. You had 23 and a half to a latitude of 41 degrees. It's 64 degrees out of 90 below the zenith. So it's only about a third or less above the horizon. Whereas on June 21st, the sun is overhead at 23 and a half degrees north latitude, only 17 degrees uh, below 41. And so it's only 17 degrees, only about a fifth of the way from the zenith to the horizon. So the sunshine is much more direct in the summer and the length of the day is, is greater. And those two factors combined with actually there's more clouds in the winter, the end result is you can have a variation of 10 to one. And so right now we're in a period where the days are getting longer the sun is getting stronger with each passing day, and that should be our friend in helping reduce the spread of the virus. And, and so that's what we've postulated. We've been talking about that now for well over a month. Let me throw out some of those numbers. So this, this period here, the late March period, we're seeing a 36% increase in the UV index for New York City in this two-week period, a 31% increase for Seattle, 30 for Milan, Seoul's at 24, Tokyo's about 17, LA's about a 13% increase, and Wuhan, China, where the virus originated, about 11%. So those are the increases that we're seeing right in the heart of this upswing in amounts of cases across the world. Yeah, we're in a period of greatest upswing because this is the time uh, when, the, when the sun appears to be moving, yeah, it's moving steadily northward. So, and the greatest increases in further north latitudes is much less in Miami and Houston because the sun was already strong, much stronger there. But you go to a place like Iceland, which uh, has a high incidence of coronavirus uh, compared percentage-wise compared to the population, which may have been related to that, but it's just interesting to look at it, and you see such a a high percentage infection rate. Well, they're at the Arctic Circle, so they had very little sunlight, but now the sunlight's increasing greatly. You compare the, the, uh, that to, say, Australia, and, which is actually closer to China, and the infection rate in Australia is much less. Of course, they're in their summer. They're getting a lot of uh, solar radiation, so they get a lot of ultraviolet, and they also have 
a lot of warmer temperatures. And so uh, that may explain the difference. We don't know. It's anecdotal evidence, but it fits in with this model we'll postulate. And, and one thing we should talk about, this is not, you don't come at these things from, obviously, you, your meteorological background, but you've studied the history of this in terms of how weather has affected other viruses and illnesses was a big part of your weather events in history lecture that you've been giving and and we've been talking about in a podcast. So it's not like you're coming at some of this stuff from a left field blind spot. You've been looking at this for years and kind of anecdotally looking at these kinds of things, Rachel? Yes, indeed. If you look at the uh, Spanish flu, it had uh, three peaks, really, but the two main peaks were one in the fall, but it damped down uh, in spring, rather, and then it damped down in the summer and came back in the fall. And uh, the same thing uh, is likely to happen here. Hopefully, with the uh, isolation of people, we're going to flatten the curve and reduce the spread. And then hopefully the ultraviolet radiation, the increased temperatures, the increased humidity seasonally will help also decrease the spread. And we'll get a break in the spread and we'll make progress, hopefully, as we get into later spring and summer. But then we do need to be wary that the virus, if we haven't gotten the vaccine, we probably won't by then and haven't done other things, it may come back and could come back significantly starting in late September, October, November, as the sun declines in the sky and the length of the day declines dramatically. Now, of course, by then, maybe more people have been built up in immunity, people that have had it or been exposed to it. Probably that second peak will not be as dramatic as the first peak. We keep our fingers crossed to that right. to that effect. But yeah, there's no question that uh, if you look at uh, the Spanish flu, you look at most flus, there is definitely a seasonality and a, a damping of the spread uh, during the uh, warmest part of the year. But it takes a while. So we're now entering the period where the decline of spread should be starting to occur. The most dramatic decline in the past has been very late March, mainly through April and early May, and then reached a fairly low number in late May through June, July, and August. So, Joel, social distancing has been the advice that the medical experts have been giving. And when you look at that, how do you balance with the need also to maybe the benefits of trying to get outside, going for a walk, getting some exposure to the sunlight? You know, you have to make those decisions, what's best for you. And But we're obviously thinking that some of these uh, situations where you can get out in some good weather for even for a brief amount of time, stay socially isolated from other people, but that will be a benefit, won't it? Well, I'm not a health expert, but uh, everything I know, sunshine is good for you as long as you don't overdo it. You don't expose yourself to uh, skin cancer and so on. So vitamin D3, uh, vitamin D keeps you healthier. So uh, yeah, people should try and get out as long as they're not going to be exposed. You don't want to go out into a, a crowded place. You want to stay at least six feet away from anybody if you're out walking or running, getting out. So it depends on the environment. It may be tough to do that in New York City, but there are other places where certainly if you're not going to run into anybody, you can keep away from people. The minimum is six feet. It's a healthy thing to get the exercise and get exposure to the sunshine and also uh, to get fresh air. And, and also, you know, to, to air out your house, too, a little bit to get some fresh air in. Absolutely. You know, Joel, uh, we rely as a company and, uh, 
you know, across the country uh, on some of your ideas about things in terms of not just the weather, but how that things affect the world. And we've already seen major disruptions in the stock market to travel to the chain uh, supply chain disruption in some places business closures, all the impacts to restaurants, bars, and movie theaters. Can you talk a little bit about what you think the economic impact of this virus will be and how bad it could get? Well, again, you know, I'm not an economist. I keep an eye on these things. I sometimes venture opinions on different things, as you know. I do. Um, and, And I'm really relying on a lot of experts to really assess this, but what the experts seem to be saying, and uh, what I speculated on the possibility even two months ago, is that there's going to be a sharp decline in economic activity. It's already occurring. You know, we're talking about the steepest decline in history, going back 150 years or more. The stock market fell more percentage-wise in a shorter period of time than we've ever seen. Obviously, that implies, all of it uh, implies, there's going to be a, a very a sharp drop in economic activity. Some uh, respected uh, economists and, and firms talking about a 24% decline in GDP in the second quarter. I mean, that is unheard of, but it, it's realistic that it may be that great. Now, it's likely that, you know, certainly by the end of the year, there'll be significant growth making up and coming back some of that decline that we experienced starting in the first quarter dramatically in the second quarter, uh, probably should be some bounce back in the third and fourth quarter. I've seen estimates of as much as 10% growth in the third and fourth quarter after a 24% decline in the second quarter still will not bring us back to where we were. My personal view is uh, the highs we made in the stock market, we will not see again for several years, if longer, but uh, I I may be wrong. That's just uh, a personal opinion. And we may even go down and make a new low or test the low we had before we can get a sustainable rally. If people have studied the stock market know there's nothing more impressive. A rally, a gain, is nothing more impressive than a, a rally in a bear market. When the general trend is down, but you get some huge short covering rallies, perhaps like we've had the last two days. Now, I hope it's for real, but I suspect it's going to turn around and go back down, at least test what we had. But And that's a harbinger of the economy. There's been a lot of damage already done. There's going to be further damage done. People's uh, wealth has been affected, will be affected. Their ability then to have uh, money to spend on uh, uh, travel and uh, some of the leisure activities will be uh, hurt for years to come. They're going to be, people are going to be working hard to get their economics and their finances back in order. So you can't just just skip over something like this and just have it bounce back. Everybody's pocketbook has been hurt one way or another. Workers, in in terms of uh, their pay, many of them, and increasing numbers will occur because it is a domino effect. Companies, for the most part, are doing everything they can to hold on to the workers. But at some point, if money's not coming in, uh, they have to reach a point where they've got to take some drastic action to survive. So there's more damage to come. The stock market is predicting it economically. 
it, it's uh, it's going to take uh, a long time to recover fully from this several years at least. When you look at uh, this unprecedented situation, um, any advice that you would give to folks that you are, care about, your listeners and, and, and things right now, or, and, or is just mainly stay informed and keep up to date with the latest information? It's important that you stay healthy, that you maintain your uh, resistance to disease, that you keep your immune system top-notch. It's important that you keep yourself hydrated. That helps give you resistance so the, the uh, virus can't get into your system as easily. It's important that you get sufficient rest, that you don't overly worry, that you can't sleep, uh, that you eat healthy, that you exercise. If you can't go to the gym to exercise, you can't get out too much to exercise, find ways to exercise in-house. Make sure you're taking sufficient number of steps and you're doing whatever you can to stay healthy. Make a double commitment to stay healthy in every way you can so you can have greater resistance if you should get the coronavirus. Joe, before we go, uh, I want you to talk a little bit about uh, one of the things that our company's doing, and that is donating its severe and local storm warning surfaces to hospitals, medical institutions, any public health any agency, anybody that's helping try to treat this epidemic uh, and uh, pandemic. Uh, talk a little bit about that amazing move by our company. Well, thank you, Dean. So, yeah, we certainly want to do what we can to help. Uh, and one of the unique services we have is our uh, severe local storm warning service providing advanced warning, pinpoint warnings of tornadoes, flash floods, uh, hail, severe lightning storms, high winds. And this service is, is used by thousands of businesses uh, that pay us premium dollars for the service because it gives them more advanced notice, it's more accurate, it's tailored to the location of our plants. We already serve many medical centers and hospitals, but Many we don't. And so we thought we could make a contribution, particularly to the whole medical community, but especially the hospitals who are setting up temporary care facilities under tents and things that are more uh, structures that are more susceptible to severe weather, more susceptible to getting hit by a tornado and, and having fatalities and, or, or a strong wind coming along and, and blowing the tent away and doing harm to people. Uh, and, and so what we've done is we, uh, I think it's five states so far, we've gone to all the hospitals and medical facilities, uh, you know, major medical centers in those five states to start with and offered them for free to provide uh, this special warning service. Because, you know, extra time matters. So we can give people 20 minutes notice on a tornado as opposed to five. That makes a big difference. And that's what this service is all about. And the hospitals and medical centers we've offered to have been grateful and have accepted it. And uh, there's a setup involved. So if we give them the warning, they know what to do with it, how, to, how they make the decisions and so on. So it's a, a process we've refined over a, a decade or more. And so that's what we're doing. And, and we hope that once we have these and these five states set up, we can expand this to some additional states. And obviously, this takes time, people and money, but uh, this is a contribution we're pleased to make. It's our AccuWeather SkyGuard service, part of our AccuWeather for Business uh, module. And so certainly you can contact our company if you'd like more information on that. Joel, I want to thank you very much. You know, uh, to me, 
you know, you mentioned it. This looks like it is a transformational event in our lifetime. And uh, it is something that we're going to keep uh, abreast of in terms of the weather and its impacts. We plan to update this podcast with new information as it becomes available. But I want to thank you very much for taking some time today to talk with us. And we hope that you and your family stay safe. And I'm sure we'll chat again here in this in near future about this. It's always a pleasure doing these with you, Dean. Take care. All right, folks, remember that you can keep up to date with the latest information with AccuWeather's full coverage of the pandemic and get a snapshot of global cases at our site, AccuWeather.com slash coronavirus. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore for our founder and CEO, Joel Myers. Thank you for listening, and we'll keep you up to date here at AccuWeather.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 